Hey, what's up, Walmart? Got another life hack for you this week. Um, this one's pretty simple. Um, if you're ever in the car with someone and uh, they've got country music playing, here's the hack for you. All you gotta do is just reach up here and change it to a new station. I'm just kidding, that's not the life hack. Um, so this one also kind of goes along with the garage type stuff in your car. Um, for those of you that park in your garage, um, you've probably noticed that your door is getting these little paint nicks along the side of it and it's because it's hitting the wall. Um, so an easy way to stop that from happening is to get a pull noodle, ignore my sheetrock that is uh, falling apart, um, get a pull noodle, cut it in half and just drill it to there. Um, and make sure that when you drill it to the wall, um, you open up your door and make sure it's not gonna hit one of those spots where the drill's gonna, or where the uh, screw's gonna be. Um, so, easy life hack. See y'all next week. Good morning, Hallmark. It's good to see everybody. How many of you are actually implementing these life hack tips that you've learned from our youth pastor the last two weeks? Okay. They have a lot to do with cars, and uh, it's because Critter, our youth pastor, loves cars. And I think, there's some, uh, I think there's some tips that have to do with something other than cars coming up. We'll see, but uh, he'll definitely help you take care of your car. Well, uh, these life tacks are meant to, to just help make your life a little bit easier. And in not quite the same way, God has given us a book in the Bible, uh, inspired by His Spirit, written by the most wise man who's ever lived, King Solomon. And these are wise tips also to help you live uh, a beneficial and a fruit-filled life. And so today is our second message in the series, uh, Life Hacks, and we're going to be looking at the subject of work. Now, I know when I say that word, work, uh, a lot of you get, you know, a different kind of feeling inside, and I, I really apologize. I have to talk about work on your weekend and so to make you feel a little bit better about that, we're going to have kind of an icebreaker here this morning. And uh, many of you are now warmed up after, after our worship set. And so we're going to sing, um, we're, we're going to do a fun game show. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of called, I, don't, I couldn't really come up with a good title for it. So I'm just going to say, finish the line of the song. That's what I'm entitling this, uh, this little game we're about to play. I'm going to sing a famous song about work. I'll sing the first part of the line. And when I point to you, I want you to finish the line of the song. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm going to sing a little bit of a song about work, famous song, most of you should know. And then when I point to you, you finish the line of the song. All right, everybody, shake your head. Yes, okay, we'll start easy. Okay, we'll go with an easy one. It goes like this. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's... Good. Everybody whistle. Okay, good. You guys are great. That's how the game's going to go. And I will warn you that the songs will get progressively more challenging, okay? All right, let's, let's try a second one. <clears throat> this one, think 1980s. Think country music star. Um, <laughs> I said think, think. Okay, so here we go. Here we go. You ready? Working nine to five. What a... Way to make a living. Good job. Who sings that song? Anybody? Dolly Parton, right? How many of you been to Dollywood? Raise your hand. We won't judge. We won't judge you. Okay? All right, progressively harder. This next song, 
I, I don't give you a whole lot to go on, but those of you that listen to pop music in the 80s will get this one, okay? Here it goes. Working for a living, living and a working. I'm taking what they're giving because I'm good. Huey Lewis and the News fans out there nailed that one. Taking what they're giving because I'm working for a living. All right, this one's for the ladies. <clears throat> ladies, this is a power song, and I really need you to come through for me on this one. Okay, ready? She works hard for the money. So hard for you, honey. She works hard for the money, so you, very good, you better treat her right. Guys, were you listening to that? Okay, this one's more for the guys, but I think this one has the most universal appeal in our church this morning. Think older country, think Johnny Paycheck. Here we go. Take this job and I ain't working here no more, right? That last line might be true of me after I had 400 people say shove it in church. All right, you guys did incredibly well on that one. I'm kind of surprised. So we have a lot of work to do this morning. All right, now all these songs are absolutely foreign uh, to our millennial generation. I'm really sorry, guys. And so I want to include you in this whole process. So teenagers, are you ready? I have a song just for you, all right? Again, I'm going to sing the first line and then you finish it. For me. Are you ready? Here we go. Work, 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 work. You said that I should. Okay. Yes. Good job. Good job, guys. Work, work, work. Well, uh, our study is in the book of Proverbs, and our subject is on work. And uh, unlike some other topics, we don't have a central passage in the book of Proverbs that we could go to because. Proverbs addresses work in all of its 31 chapters. It's kind of peppered throughout the book. And so what I wanted to do this morning was I wanted to combine all the verses that talk about work and labor and read them to you as a paragraph. And then from there, we're going to launch off into other passages of Scripture that deal uh, with this, this subject matter, work. And so to begin, I'm going to, to read 16 verses from the book of Proverbs in a paragraph format, and then I want you to join me in the book of Genesis chapter 2. That's where we're going to get started. So again, these are various passages from Proverbs regarding work. Starting in Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8, it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. The labor of the righteous leads to life, the wages of the wicked to sin. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. The recompense of a man's hands will be rendered to him. The hand of the diligent will rule. Wealth gained by dishonesty will diminish, but he who gathers by labor will increase. And all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. This is a great verse. This next verse is Proverbs 16.3. This will be our launching point on the subject of work. Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread. The virtuous woman seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She enjoys the fruit of her hands 
and her own works praise her in the gates. So that in summary is what the book of Proverbs has to say about work. And we're going to jump into different passages of scripture now to get the full counsel of God's word on this subject. And obviously we're not going to say everything that needs to be said about work. But this morning in our time together I want you to learn three things. Number one, you were made to work. You were made to work, like it or not. You were made to work. Number two, your work in Jesus is wise, not wasteful. And number three, you should do good work. And so that's what we're going to cover today in our short time together, starting with you were made to work. Now, if you're back in Genesis chapter 2, I want you to take a look at verse 15. You know, a lot of people mistakenly assume that work is a part of God's curse. How many of you thought that? Work is a curse. I have to go to work on Monday because of Adam and Eve, and they're, they're fall in the garden. Okay, that's one way to look at it, right? But that's not, that's not the case. In fact, Adam was created and given a job to do before he ever rebelled against God. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. That's before the fall. That's before Genesis chapter 3. God created you and me to work. Take a look at your hands for a minute and your feet. We were designed to do. We were designed to be active. We are mobile and tactile, and if you drive in Dallas, hostile. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) We were created for activity. God designed us for a purpose. God designed us to work, to lift things, to build things, to grow things, to develop things, to solve problems. We were designed by God to do. Work is not a part of sin's curse. Our work was cursed by sin, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but God gave man a job to do before man rebelled against God. Work is a good thing. Work is a God thing. In fact, when you open your Bibles, the first thing we learn about God is that he's a worker. He creates in six days, and on the seventh he rests, and so just being made in his image makes us workers. We were made to work. Now, if you look at your notes there, uh, under point A, there's a couple of acrostics, and I want to break those down for you today. Shape, GPS, BG3. What, what do those made? Well, it's just to make a point that we were created to work. Uh, not too long ago, I, I discovered the shape acrostics, and you can go ahead and put that up, Cody. Uh, as I was reading through one of Rick Warren's books, he uses this all the time to figure out where you fit in in God's plan. And, and each of us has a unique shape, and that acrostic stands for spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. In other words, he says that God has given us all a unique shape. We all have our unique set of spiritual gifts. We all have something that moves our heart and stirs our heart. What moves me may not move you. All of us have a unique set of abilities. I am not a plumber, okay? Ask my wife. I can't do anything like that. I'm not super... Uh, good at fixing things around the house. Some of you, that just comes naturally. You have a different set of abilities. We all have different, unique personalities. Some of us are introverts. Some of us are extroverts. That's all on purpose. It's a design by God. And all of us have been exposed to different experiences in life. We all have different perspectives. We were born different places, in different families. We've been exposed to different things. And God uses our shape to plug us in for his divine purpose. He not only made us to work, but he made us to do specific things. We were designed to do 
different things. The next acrostic I want to look at is called GPS. And those of you uh, that have cell phones or the old-fashioned Garmin, you're familiar with this, the global positioning satellite. Well, this is really God's placement for service. And, and our staff recently has implemented this. Uh, and, and we've taken spiritual gifts inventories. We've taken a personality assessment. We use the DISC profile, D-I-S-C. And then there's also a book called Strength Finder. And you take this test, and it gives you your top five strengths. Most people focus on what they're not good at and try to bring it up to an average level. But this book encourages you to find your five strengths and hone and develop those. And so we believe that a mixture of our spiritual gifting, our personalities, and how God has put them in us, and then the strengths that we have give us some sort of an idea of where God's positioned us to serve. It's GPS. Uh, the other uh, acrostic that I have in there is BG3. And go ahead and, go ahead and uh, let's take a look at that. It simply means bad, good, great, gifted. A couple years ago, our church hosted the national meeting, and Pastor Steve Stroop uh, from Rockwall, Texas, was here, and he was talking about leadership, and he brought this up, and it just really stuck in my mind. And he says, everybody knows what they're bad at. Do you guys know what you're bad at? Things that you shouldn't do, okay? I run into a lot of this as a music minister. I discover that not everybody's a good singer. Some people are bad singers, and that's okay, because in the church we're, we're commanded to make a joyful noise, and some of you, that's all you got, just a joyful noise, and that's okay. But there's some things that you just know from experience that you're bad at, Okay? I have a strong desire to fly, an airplane, uh, to fly an airplane. You would not want to ride on my airplane, okay? I'm bad at that. I have no training. So the things that you're bad at, you need to stop doing. But then there's some things that you're good at, and, and, and by that I mean you're just as good as anybody else, okay? You can empty a trash can just as good as about anybody else. You can sweep a floor just about as good as anybody else. You can deliver a pizza just about as good as anybody else. But maybe it's not what God has called you to do. Maybe there are some things that you're great at. And you might be saying, well, how do I know if I'm great at something? Here's the secret. If you're great at something, someone is willing to pay you to do that thing. Okay? If you're great at that, somebody's willing to pay you to do that. But there's even another level that we should all strive for. It's to discover what we're gifted at. Well, what's the difference between great and gifted? Well, when you do something that you're great at... At the end of doing it, you are exhausted and drained. But when you're doing something that you're gifted at, you will forget to eat lunch. You understand the difference? The thing that you're gifted at is, is your passion. I mean, it's just, when you get rolling, you, you just forget about everything else and you focus in on that. A good biblical example is Jesus ministering to the woman at the well. Do you remember the story of the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus sends the disciples away to find some food to eat because they're hungry, and while they're gone, he engages this lady and talks to her and ends up revealing himself to her as the Messiah, and that's why Jesus came, right? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. The disciples come back with food, and he says, I'm not hungry. I have food to eat that you know not of, because he was doing what he was sent to do. Have, you, have any of you had that experience where you do something, and, and it just feels so natural, and you're just you're in the zone. Anybody experience that? So our goal should be to, to move from bad, for sure, let's stop doing those things, to good, to great, and then to discover what we're gifted at. There's one final 
um, example that I want to show you this morning. It's kind of a diagram, and it's for those of you that may, maybe you just graduated high school, maybe uh, you're nearing the end of college, and you're wondering, what am I supposed to do in life? What's my job going to be? What am I going to be when I grow up? Uh, some of you are 40 years old, and you're still asking this question. What am I going to be when I grow up? And, and this is a great, um, a great um, way to figure that out, and it involves three different things. I would say, well, what are you passionate about? What really stirs your heart? And then not only what are you passionate about, but what are you talented at? Okay, because there's a lot of people that are passionate about different things, but they're not talented. People would not pay them to do those things, okay? But they're passionate. Uh, So what are you passionate about? What are you also talented at doing? And then how could you make an income doing those things? Where those three converge, that is the sweet spot of your success. You see, a lot of people start out in life and say, I want to make money. And they pursue the income track. And maybe they're even talented at making money or doing that thing. But there's no heart. And when they reach the halfway point of their life, they have what's called the midlife crisis, right? I don't love what I'm doing. I've made money at it, but I don't love what I'm doing. I don't feel like I'm making a difference. There's other people that are really passionate about doing something, and maybe they're even talented at doing it, but there's no market for that skill, and so they live in their mom and dad's basement. And so you have to figure out, what am I passionate about? What do I have a talent to do? And then how can I support myself and make a living? But the bottom line is here, we were created to work. We were made to work. And the sooner you can figure out that sweet spot for your success, the better, and, and, and and the longer you can work in Jesus' name for God's glory. One other thing I felt like I needed to mention under you were made to work is this. Your work is not your identity. See, the downside to some people finding that sweet spot early is that they throw themselves into work and they get so wrapped up, they become what we like to call a workaholic. Any workaholics in the room? Nobody's going to admit it, right? Okay, Jeremiah's a workaholic. Very good. Well, I hope you recover. But they get so wrapped up to it, and they're so driven that they become dangerously imbalanced. And before long, they feel like what they do is who they are. Let me tell you why that's so dangerous. Because if ever you lose your job and your work is your identity, what have you lost? You've lost your identity. You lose yourself. That's why, sadly, we see stockbrokers that when the market crashes, they jump off buildings. It's horrible. People get so wrapped up in what they do that they think it's who they are. But notice in in Genesis 2-7 that that Adam had an identity before he was given a job. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Before he was even given a job, he had value. Do you see that? And some of you, you're without a job right now. And, and I know that it's especially difficult for men to not have a job to where they can provide. And I want you to hear something today. From God's word, you have an identity before you have a job. You were created in the image of God, and he loves you like a caring father. You're not saved by works, and you don't please God by simply doing things. He loves you just as you are. And so you need to rest in that. 
There's so many more things we can learn from the book of Genesis. And, and ladies, another thing that you need to know is that before Eve came on the scene, Adam had a job, okay? So if you're looking to marry some guy, make sure he has a job, all right? That's a whole other message, but let's keep, let's keep moving on. The third and final thing under this first point that you were made to work is that your work is contaminated by sin. Even if you're doing those things you're great at, maybe even gifted to do, even if you found that sweet spot of success, the reality is that our work is contaminated by sin, and it all started in Genesis. Look at Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and God judges them. Then he said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So one of the consequences for man's sin was that our work, which was a good thing and a God thing, was cursed. It was cursed. How many of you feel that on a Monday afternoon? That your work has been cursed, okay? It's a reality. In fact, those of you that are into science um, need to see this, that when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, the second law of thermodynamics began back in Genesis chapter 3. What am I talking about? Well, the second law of thermodynamics is this. It's the universal law of decay. It's the ultimate cause why everything ultimately falls apart and disintegrates over time. Material things are not eternal. Everything appears to change eventually, and chaos increases over time. Nothing stays as fresh as the day one buys it. Clothing becomes faded. Threadbare ultimately returns to dust. Everything ages and wears out. Even death is a manifestation of this law. And so the effects of the second law of thermodynamics are all around, and it started with sin. Sin is why what we do is never done. Do you understand that? Things always digress. Wouldn't it be great, ladies, if when you clean the house it stayed clean for one time? Crazy thing. We dusted our house. We, we literally scoop up the dust, and we do away with the dust. And then you wait a day or two, and guess what's back? Dust. It's amazing. Guys, wouldn't you love it if you cut the grass and it stayed cut. That'd be nice. Some people in Arizona where it rains not very much, they've replaced their grass with rocks, and I think that's a pretty good idea. I think I'm down with that. I might switch to rocks. But sin is what makes work work. Sin is what makes labor labor. Sin is why we live for the weekend and we can't wait to vacate because our work is cursed. God said, in toil and sweat and frustration and futility, you will work. The wisest man who's ever lived that penned the book of Proverbs also wrote Ecclesiastes, and he says in chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What good is there in the work that men do under the sun? Our work is cursed by sin. But thankfully, that's not where we're going to stop today. I have some good news. 
Now turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to underline a verse in your Bible that should give you hope for the workaday week. Okay, first of all, we were made to work. There's all kinds of different ways to determine how God designed you to do a specific thing. We are not what we do. We are more important than that, although what we do is important. And we need to understand that our work is contaminated by sin. But the good news is that your work in Jesus is wise and not wasted. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, and this is what you should underline, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why is that? Well, it's because Jesus redeems your work. One of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest messages that's ever been preached, and it is the greatest, it's the good news of the gospel, that though we were sinners, Christ died for us. He took our sin upon himself so that we could have a relationship with God and experience eternal life in heaven with him. Aren't you thankful for that good news? Well, there's more to that good news. Not only has the shed blood of Jesus Christ made us right with God and and freed us from the penalty and the power and ultimately the presence of sin, but it brings a permanence to our work. Jesus redeems our work so that everything we do, even the most menial job, has eternal significance. Our work is no longer wasted. It becomes a wise investment in eternity. Those of you that are Christians, everything you do matters and is an act of worship to God because Jesus has redeemed your work. Now, I need to say, you know, obviously we do not work for our salvation, but we work from our salvation. And God has created us to do And God has designed us in a specific way that we have a purpose. And when we trust in Christ for salvation, our work has been redeemed and everything we do counts for eternity. Before our belief in Christ, our our work was wasted on this world. Yeah, you can make a difference. Yeah, you can accumulate stuff. You can build things. But the Bible clearly says that this world is passing away and everything in it. And so it will only last as long as this earth does. And so it's really a waste when you think about it. It's like what Solomon said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What good does man's work do under the sun? And so if if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, your work is a waste. Work done without Jesus is of no eternal value. In 1 Corinthians 3.12, it talks about how we'll all stand before Jesus and he will judge our works with the righteous fire from his eyes and everything that is done with an impure motive that's not covered by his blood will be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. It's all gone. Dust in the wind, as the old famous song says, right? Dust in the wind. But if we trust in him, work after the cross, work after our faith in Jesus Christ, isn't a waste, it's a wise investment in the future. Did you know that even a cure for cancer will not be needed in heaven? And so it's so important to trust in Jesus so that our work, however menial, however great, will not be a waste, but instead it's worship. There's a Hebrew word for work that can also be translated worship. It's the word adovah. It is used in Exodus 34, 21 to describe work, 
But in Joshua 24, 15 and Exodus 8, 1, it's used to describe worship. It's the same word. And those of us who have trusted in Jesus for salvation, our work is our worship to God because it's been redeemed by his blood. Whatever we do in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Jesus not only redeems our work, but Jesus will reward our work. Turn over in your Bibles now to Colossians 3, 23 through 25. Paul writes, and whatever you do, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you will, you will receive the reward. And so Jesus has redeemed our work. Jesus will reward our work. The famous phrase that every Christian longs to hear one day when they stand before their Father in heaven is what? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Good job. Nice work. Nice work. We know that ultimately, because we're believers in Jesus and he's redeemed our work, that everything we do counts for eternity. Everything we do as unto him, one day he will reward us for that work. Therefore, number three, and this is where we're going to end today, you should do good work. Because you were made to work, And because in Jesus, your work is a wise investment into eternity, you should do good work. Colossians 3.17, Matt read it earlier. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So two things under you should do good work. The first thing is you, you work in Jesus' name. You work in Jesus' name as a Christian. I don't know about... I don't know about you, but this is a sobering thought to me. It brings to mind the song by Casting Crowns, my life song, let my life song sing to you. One of the lines in that song is, I want to sign your name at the end of each day, knowing that my heart was true. Wow. Can you sign Jesus' name to your work? That's pretty amazing. When Pastor John's away, we have letters to go out. I'm going to give you some, uh, some behind the scenes here. We send out letters to our first-time guests. Oh, when Pastor John's not here, we can't have him sign the letters. So I sign the letters. Isn't that scandalous? John Haley. And I try to do it as fancy as I can, and I just, John Haley. But as I do it, you know, I think, you know what, I'm going to read this letter and make sure that I can sign Pastor John's name to this. I don't want anything in this letter to bring shame to our pastor, and so I read the letter, and then I sign John Haley. And so if you've gotten one of those letters, I'm really sorry. It was from the worship pastor. It wasn't from our senior pastor, but we still meant every single word, and we're glad you're here. But isn't this intimidating that we work in Jesus' name? That means essentially that at the end of the day, the end of your work week, you can sign Jesus' name to what you've done. That's a sobering thought. Did you know that we, we work in Jesus' name 
but we also work because Jesus was a hard worker. So it's kind of a twofold thing. We work in Jesus' name. He's our Lord and our Savior, so we want our work to be pleasing to him, but we work in Jesus' name because we wear his name, and he was a hard worker. People that knew my dad expect more, more out of me because they knew my dad, and they knew he was a hard worker. And people that knew my dad knew his dad, and they expected more from him because they knew that his dad was a hard worker, and Jesus was a hard worker. Jesus was a carpenter with his dad, his earthly father, Joseph. And when Joseph passed, the weight and the responsibility of providing for his family fell on the oldest, which was Jesus. And so Jesus built things. He, he built things. He was a carpenter. If you were to shake Jesus' hand while he was on earth, you'd feel calluses because he worked with his hands. He swung hammers for a living. He was a working man, and he took care of his family. Not only did Jesus work to provide for his family, he worked in ministry Follow in the Gospels Jesus' journeys, and he walked everywhere he went. He worked from sunup till sundown. He was constantly ministering to people and, and teaching them and reaching out to them. Even from the cross, he was being, he was being responsible and making sure that his mother was taken care of. And so we work in Jesus' name so that we can please and honor him, but so that we can be like him because he was a hard worker. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer to God the Father in John 17, 4, he said, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And, of course, the famous line from the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He finished what he came to do. Philippians 1, 6, Paul writes, being confident, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work will complete it. God finishes what he starts. Jesus was a hard worker. You know, I've served many different kinds of bosses my whole life. I've had some that were pretty strict, some that were pretty lenient, some that were reasonable, some that were unreasonable, some that were kind, some that were a little harsh, some that led by example and kind of pulled you along, others that were drivers and they pushed you. But even though I've worked for a variety of different bosses, the reality of this is this, that over the years I've only had really one boss, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the one that I serve. He's the one that I serve. So we work in Jesus' name, and then second, and finally, you work for God's glory. When we do good work, we glorify God. Just as the works of his hands praise him and bring him glory, the works of our hands praise him and give him glory. And you may be thinking, well, how can I glorify God at my job? Here's a few ways, and a lot of you helped me on Facebook this week. Describe the qualities of a good worker, and so if you need to take notes, write these down. Here's a few ways you can glorify God in your job. Be on time. If you're expected to be somewhere at a particular time, be there at that time, maybe a little early. Be loyal to your employer. Be trustworthy, be productive, take initiative, be active. You were designed to be active. Be reliable, be a learner. How can I become a better employee for my employer? Be respectful, be responsible, be flexible. When things don't go exactly the way they're supposed to be, just go with the flow. If you're not flexible, you get bent out of shape, as the saying goes. Be flexible, be kind, be appreciative, be thankful. Just start there. 
That's a great way to give God glory with what you do. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Get busy. I knew I'd get one amen out of that. Don't talk about it. Be about it. And so today, I I want you to remember this. You were made to work. Your work in Jesus is a wise investment for eternity. It's not wasted. And number three, because of all these things, you should do good work. My sister used to work for a temp agency where they would call her and she would place people for jobs and, and she would tell me about the different experiences that she'd had. And some, work, some workers didn't work out. Other workers were, were really good. And you know what she didn't tell me? She didn't say, you know, Dave, if I could just have some more Christians to place. Because my phone rings off the hook from employers calling saying, hey, do you have any Christians down there? at that employment agency? Well, why do, you, why do you want Christians? Well, they're the best workers I've ever seen in my life. These people show up on time. They do what they say they're going to do. I give them the expectations. They not only meet expectations, they exceed them. They're always learning. They're always trying to serve their fellow employees and me, in fact, so much so that you would think that I was Jesus the way they worked for me. She didn't say that. Christians, everything we do matters. Our work has been redeemed. We need to make the most of our work because in doing so, we give honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And before I close this message, I need to tell those of you that have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, that there is no amount of good works that will secure eternal life in heaven for you. No amount of good works will secure salvation. All the religions of this world are about man's attempt to get to God. Man trying to reach God with good works. They all center around the word do. Do this, do that. Maybe in the end it will be enough. Maybe. But Christianity is the only faith that is centered around one word, and that word is done. We rest on the finished work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because Jesus came and he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He lived a sinless, perfect life. The Bible says that he knew no sin, yet God made him sin for us so that we could have the righteousness of Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so Jesus has already done the work for your salvation. And this morning he offers that work to you as a gift of his grace. All you have to do is reach out by faith and receive salvation. That's it. That's it. You'll never be good enough. You'll never do enough to earn it. It's a gift. All you have to do is reach out and receive it by faith. And when you do, you'll experience the peace that you've been pursuing, that you've been working for all these years. He'll just give it to you. And then the good news is everything you do from that moment on will just be an investment in all eternity. You can keep working hard on your own. You can keep trying to earn enough money climb the corporate ladder but when you get to the top you'll feel empty inside because everything done without Christ in this world is a waste 
It's a waste. You'll never find peace. You'll never find joy until you received his, his gift of grace. If you're here this morning and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins and give you eternal life, I'm going to say a simple prayer. And I want you to repeat in your heart after me this prayer. The prayer is not magical. It will only mean something if you voice it from your heart to God. But if you're here and you know you need to be saved, I want you to pray this. I want you to say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that you sent Jesus to do what I couldn't do for myself. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he was buried. I believe he rose from the dead the third day, proving that he could save me. And this morning, I ask you to save me. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new life in you. I want what I do to matter for all eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Nobody's looking around. All heads are still bowed. If you prayed that prayer, you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. I just want to rejoice with you. Will you slip your hand up? Slip your hand up. Hold it up long enough for me to see. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Anybody else this morning? Thank you. Anyone else? I prayed to receive Christ today. Amen. Well, Christian, if you're here this morning, you were just reminded that everything you do matters, no matter what your job is, no matter how menial you think your job is in life, everything matters. This should make Monday different. You should show up tomorrow thinking Jesus is going to be sitting right next to me at work because he is. He is. And everything we do will either shame his name or honor his name. And we want to give him glory with our life. So we're going to sing a, a worship chorus here. This was going to lead us. And if you need to pray this morning, I'm going to invite you to come and say, Lord, you need to help me to honor you with everything that I do in my life. If you pray to receive Christ, we have people down here that would love to hear that. Just come up and take their hand and say, I just got saved. Let's sing, Israel.